Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tuesdays with Corey on Atlanta Business Radio. Um, I'm here today with, of course, our host, uh, Corey Rick with the Long-Term Care Planning Group. So how are you doing, Corey? I'm doing great, Katie. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. So uh, who did you bring in studio with you today? We have another great show today, Katie. We have today on the show, we have Kate Allison. Kate, welcome. Thank you. Kate is the membership director at the Georgian Club. We have Ellen Deal, who has a great deal of experience in as an independent insurance agent and is also a political candidate. Ellen, welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> and also Kristen uh, Curcio, who is an investment advisor with Capital investment advisors here in Atlanta. Kristen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, today we're going to start off our interview by talking to Kate Allison. And uh, Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you. So Kate, tell the listenership uh, about your uh, history and a little bit about you and your work experience and how you landed as the membership director at the Georgian Club. Sure. Great. Uh, well, I am Georgia born. Um, born in uh, Warner Robins. I'm actually a military brat. So I have lived Warner Vegas. Yes, as they call it. <laughs> I've lived in a lot of different places, uh, but uh, found myself back here for college at uh, KSU, so not too far from here, Kennesaw State. Uh, went How there. How did you make the decision to go to KSU? I, we lived nearby, and uh, all my friends were going. That's what you do in high school, right? You go to college. I remember uh, they had days. a great criminal justice program, which is what I was originally originally going to be going into. Yeah, when I was 18. So uh, from there, I went to, um, after Kennesaw State, I went over to Georgia State for a little while, um, continuing my criminal justice uh, degree. But after that, I uh, kind of dropped out wanting to figure out if that was really where I was headed uh, and actually decided that hospitality was something that I was more interested in, which is how I ended up with uh, the Georgian Club and the parent company, which is Future and Hospitality. Well, you're clearly very good about, you know, delivering hospitality and helping people. And that's been my experience with you. What, was there some sort of turning point somewhere where you decided, hey, I, I you know, I need to move in a different direction other than the criminal justice thing? Oh, uh, yeah. I started with um, uh, Future and Hospitalities. One of their more bigger clubs is uh, Indian Hills Country Club, Marietta. Know it well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I was there in college uh, when I was still at Kennesaw State, working there part-time uh, and realized that I just really love the people business. I love uh, hospitality and, and uh, just wanted to continue with that instead. What, uh, what do you like best about your role as membership director at the Georgian Club? Uh, the sales aspect. Um, you know, it's a little different. Yeah, I never would have picked up on that. <laughs> I know, right? Gosh. Uh, the sales aspect is, I mean, for me, is uh, something that's a little bit of my background is retail sales. Um, I worked at a jewelry store for a little while as well, uh, as many other jobs that I've had. But uh, the sales aspect of of really talking to people, getting to know people, wanting to understand what they need out of business, out of their life generally. And so the Georgia Club is very much a lifestyle that uh, you know we're trying to sell and trying to, of course, help people uh, improve their business, improve networking, and of course, just create a nice home away from home for them. Describe how the Georgian Club might be different than other clubs that are similar? Uh, you know, I would say for the most part, we are very much member oriented, which most clubs are, but uh, we pride ourselves on a very superior service, getting to know our members and not just what they're there for day of, but specifically who they are outside of the club uh, so that we can always be sure to 
uh, connect with them on that level. Yeah, you've done a, my experience in 18, 19 years with the club has always been very positive and and people have bent over backwards to assist and help out, whether it's, you know, making a dinner reservation or doing some things uh, business-wise. Can't say enough good things about how supportive the club has been. Good here. Walk us through a typical day that you experience for uh, the listenership in your role there. Sure. Uh, Well, like most jobs, uh, most careers are going to have paperwork. (laughs) So no. I have a lot of paperwork, <laughs> especially in the morning. I typically, uh, as they call it, eat frog in the morning. So I do all the paperwork first thing, uh, get it out of the way. Uh, and then from there, it's really, eat the frog, is, it's a good one, right? <laughs> I, I'm smiling doesn't show up on radio. I'm <laughs> laughing to myself, eat the frog. I love it. It's, it's, uh, it's one that, uh, that I've heard before. So I, I tend to use it. But uh, so paperwork first. After that, uh, as we get later on in my day, I tend to like to go out to uh, the, what we call the floor, the rest of the club, and really start uh, you know, mingling with the members that are there, introducing myself. I haven't met them before. Uh, and then after that, it's lunchtime. It's uh, you know calling uh, prospective members, trying to get some tours in, trying to make sure that if you've never been there before, it doesn't make a lot of sense to join a club unless you understand uh, what we're offering and uh, what we can do for you as a business professional. If you can, maybe give the listenership sort of a virtual tour uh, you know, of the club. And, and, and I know there's a lot of meeting rooms there. To me, it's, it's almost overwhelming with all of the different things that, that you do to set things up. I mean, there's, you know, there's breakfast, you can have private rooms, you mm-hmm. can have workshops there at night, you can have dinners, uh, you have events. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, we are in the, uh, 100 building of the Galleria, Cobb Galleria. So very similar to, uh, where we're at today. And, uh, Great building. So you go up to the 17th floor, you have this amazing skyline view of Atlanta. Um, that is cool. It's a very cool view. It's certainly something that you don't get everywhere. So that's uh, obviously one big aspect of it. Uh, and then, of course, once you go in, uh, typically we have a greeter there. So it's really nice as a member to be able to walk in yes. and uh, they know who you are. They know what you're there for. Uh, so it's a, it's a great uh, sort of entrance into the club. And then from there, we have our lobby bar area, which is open uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, so, of course, you can start lunch at 11 o'clock and you can be there all day if you want. Typically, we have sports on for those people who aren't working. <laughs> um, and then from there, we also have our meeting spaces. We've got eight different spaces. Uh, we serve breakfast, lunch, and dinner uh, Monday through Friday. Dinner's on Saturday nights. Uh, we do weddings. We do uh, life events. Uh, anything that you can think of, typically, we're going to do that there. Sure. Business lunches, banquets, Mm -hmm. wedding showers. I mean, it might be easier for us to talk about the things that the Georgian Club does not do. That's probably, yes, which is a few, at least. Uh, We do a lot of speaker series as well. So the networking aspect comes into our uh, speaker series today. In fact, we have a a film industry uh, gentleman coming in to do a big speech on how that's affecting our Georgia economy. And I'm I'm assuming I'm obviously we're not going to be there today, but the, the Georgian Club does do a lot of really nice things to help folks with their business. Uh, and the speaker series is yet another uh, in a long list of uh, value added things that you get when you uh, when you join the club. Correct. What do you like best about what you do? Um, for me, it's again, it's people. Uh, I enjoy talking to new people, meeting new people, understanding um, how and why they are at the club. Um, And for me, really just getting to that point where I've helped them either in joining the club or if it's an event that they're trying to plan, 
uh, something that really helps them further their business or even just personally, they need the space for a life event of some kind. Yeah, I think one word that I would use uh, to describe uh, the experience with the club is responsiveness. We don't, I, I don't ever recall having to ask twice for things and uh, things are always done in a, a sort of sincere, unobtrusive matter with the idea that, hey, let's, let's help out the member and, and get, that, uh, get that done. What do you see are the challenges in your role for the club? Um, this year, specifically, as I'm, I'm very new to this role, I started it back in September. Uh, before that, of course, I was at our um, parent company, Future and Hospitality. So coming into this role uh, in, a, in a new sort of way, uh, trying to do things a little bit differently, uh, I have discovered uh, number one that we've discovered this year, the tax changes that just happened. So a lot of our corporate memberships, a lot of our umbrella memberships uh, have had some changes that they've had to make with us. So that's certainly been challenging. Uh, to... What sort of changes, if you can talk about that? Sure, yeah. Uh, so I think at least the biggest one that I have discovered is going to be the expense reports, those expensing uh, different dinners and, and lunches that you would have with clients that you could expense later on. Uh, are now being sort of cut down to you can only expense 50% of those lunches yeah. or those dinners. Uh, so it's, I think, changing uh, the way that people are doing business with us. Uh, so that's sort of challenging for us to to get them back in the club and realizing that there are other ways that we can help you do business um, that's still good for you uh, and a way for you to be able to uh, go back to the boss and say, I still had this lunch and we can still expense this somehow. Given the, given the tax changes, uh, what input would you give the members? You'd mentioned that there might be other ways to go about this. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, business development is going to happen, whether it's over breakfast or lunch. I'm Correct. just curious about what your thoughts would be in response to the tax changes uh, on behalf of the club. Yeah, so we've uh, obviously this has been a big conversation for us as we've uh, had a lot of changes uh, in this respect. So uh, right now, my biggest thing going into this conversation with anybody who is asking is uh, instead, it used to be 100% that you could expense. Now it is 50%. Uh, so uh, now our challenge and what I've been telling our, our perspective or members currently is that you know we're going to do our best to still make this a breakfast or a lunch or a dinner uh, business meeting that is going to be um, successful for you. And if there's anything that we can do to make it um, something that is going to help you close this deal or be able to uh, bring them back in the future, we're going to do that uh, regardless of, of what that uh, takes for us. Well, that's certainly been, been my experience and the fact that we, we can't necessarily expense out 100% of the meals. I mean, people have to eat. They still have to, uh, they still have to get business development done right. and uh, your organization provides a great atmosphere in order to do that. Right. I mean, we we pride ourselves on our service is what sets us apart from most other clubs. So that's uh, that's what we focus on. So there's the other thing that's impressive about the branding and 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 what the club has done is that there are other there's sort of alliances that you have with other clubs mm-hmm. and you know country clubs. Walk us through that. Explain that to us. Sure. So as a just a general Georgian club member, you get access to about 600 other clubs around the world. What we call reciprocal relationships with. Um, anything from other business clubs, country clubs, athletic clubs, um, and that's in the States and that's also abroad. Uh, and then we also have access to uh, another company under Future and Hospitality is the National Alliance of Private Clubs. Uh, and that gets you access to uh, clubs here in the Atlanta area. So that's going to be the 
uh, City Club of Buckhead or the 1818 Club. Uh, as a Georgian Club member, you add on that extra benefit and it gets you extra access to clubs here in the Atlanta area. And then the golf courses too, I, mm -hmm. you, you're uh, connected to a fair amount of them as well. Oh, yes. So uh, for our uh, avid golfers, we have a lot of different connections to golf clubs in Atlanta, outside of Atlanta. Um, I couldn't name them all. There are so many. Yeah, they've done an excellent job of connecting themselves with other clubs that uh, might benefit from having access to your members. Uh, what do you think is the best thing about the Alliance program? Uh, for me, uh, as I'm now also an Alliance member as well as a Georgian club member uh, just on my own, uh, I would say the biggest benefit is going to be all the extra VIP tickets that they offer. So it's sort of a, what I tell everyone is sort of a concierge service. So you get this access to all the group tickets that they buy without having to pay those extra fees. I don't have to go online and look myself. I call up a real person. I say, hey, I want tickets to the Braves game, Falcons game. I want to go to this the concert. Masters. The Masters. Yeah, they sell tons of Masters tickets. You're kidding me. No. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. That would have been helpful to know a month ago. Well, are you an Alliance member, Mr. Rick? Uh, let's talk about this later. <laughs> so what? how many members does the Georgian Club have? Uh, we go back and forth anywhere from 750 to 800. Is there a target amount that, that the club is shooting for? Uh, honestly, we're right where we would like to be. It's a pretty good spot for us in that 750 range. Uh, we're able to accommodate for the most part, uh, all of our members, whether it be yeah. meeting spaces or reservations for a la carte. So of the 750, 800 members, how many of those, what percentage is corporate and what percent is just individual? Any idea? Uh, I'd say it's probably 70, 30. So about 70% of them are individual, resident. Uh, some of them may be senior. Some of them may be... Um, be, be careful now. Some of us are knocking on the door of that, uh, <laughs> that S word. When I say senior, I just mean that you have Old lived people life. like me. That's what you mean, right? <laughs> Not at all. Not even close. Uh, and then the rest of them are going to be corporate memberships. And that's uh, one individual member, or it could be a full 10-person umbrella. What do you think is the most utilized thing uh, at the club by the members? It's going to be our private meeting spaces, yeah. for sure. Whether it be events or if it's business lunches or breakfast, those are definitely the most used. Yeah, that is a, that is a big advantage. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've used that and if you have, I've had a great experience with that. So when you're not working, and my experience is you work a good bit over there, what how do you spend your free time? Uh, well, I live in Kennesaw, so it's about 40 minutes from here. And uh, I have a couple dogs and I'm married. What kind of dogs? Uh, they're a couple of rescues. So one of them's a pit bull boxer hound and the other one's a hound Rottweiler. Scared of their own shadows. Oh. <laughs> uh, we do a lot of hiking. Um, we do some rock climbing. Not the dogs, just me and my husband. Uh, I run a lot. Um, That's good. It's outdoorsy. Well, it's good to uh, run off the uh, the great food that you probably eat or are eating at the Georgian Club. There's, yeah, I eat too there's much no of shortage it. of that. Yes, yes. Too too much pasta for me. That's why I run. Where do you see yourself in five years, Kate? Uh, five years? I hope to still be at the Georgian Club. Uh, I hope to have grown. Uh, my biggest uh, goal right now is to grow our young professional program. Um, that's a big deal for me. And so I hope in five years, that's a, a big program with a lot of new members. How about 10 years and beyond? 10 years and beyond. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a short-term goal kind of girl. <laughs> I understand that. That's, a, that's a, certainly a, a, an interesting question. In closing, what, what advice would you give your younger self, knowing what you know now? Hmm. Uh, 
I would say follow what uh, what I want to do as opposed to what other people think I should do. Uh, a big one for me. Advi- excellent <laughs> advice for anybody. Yes. If there was a young lady that wanted to follow your path, what would you tell her? Um, I would probably tell her. Gosh, it's a really good question. Ah, uh, what would I tell myself? Probably something similar, but probably more in the aspect of of really pursue early what you want to do, uh, what you're really passionate about, not necessarily what makes money or uh, what's going to look good on the resume, but what you're really passionate about. Uh, absolutely spot on sound advice, Kate. Uh, thank you. You've been a great guest. And if our listenership wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Maybe the phone number, email address? Yeah, they could definitely contact me at the Georgian Club. Uh, the phone number is 770-952-6000. And my email address is kallison at georgianclub.com. Kate, you've been an excellent guest. We appreciate you taking some time. Uh, thanks thanks so me. much. Thank you. Ellen, welcome. Hello there. How are you, Corey? I'm very good. We have Ellen Deal here, and uh, Ellen has uh, a great deal of business experience. And uh, without going into it, I'll just have you introduce yourself and kind of your background and experience for the listenership. Sure. Great. Well, I am Ellen Deal, and in September of 2016, I left corporate America and formed my own LLC. And with a last name like Deal, I had to take advantage of that. So my company is Ideal Solutions. And um, I won't go into the whole details because I think Corey's got some great questions for me that will flesh everything out. But um, I just had to be 20 years in what I call corporate America, working for large companies like Humana, Blue Cross, Kaiser, and arriving at these organizations in a sales capacity, hitting my goals. And then after a few years, when you keep hitting your goals, what they do is they raise your goals. So I'm thinking, well, I've already worked as hard as I possibly can. And now you're raising my goal. So I would make a change and go somewhere else. And that cycle would just repeat itself until I finally realized I can do this for myself. And if my boss is a bleep, then, well, that's my problem because I would be the boss. So what? What do you think, uh, what are the top two or three things you maybe learned in your corporate experience, do you think? Top two things that I learned in my corporate experience is, um, oh, this is terrible because it's going to sound negative. Be careful who you trust. Um, I think that's sound advice. Yeah. Um, and um, just do your best, do the right thing. Excellent. So... You have a lot of uh, insurance uh, industry and related experience. What led you to that? A lot of people that I know, including myself, stumbled into the insurance industry. <laughs> now, what, hang on. What, what does that mean? Um, it, it means I was at the time I was looking for work and I ended up as pretty much a gopher, a gopher girl at an insurance company. I ran quotes. I made coffee. That was back in the day when girls still fetched coffee and it was... It was all right. And um, every two years, I kept getting promoted. So I would get... That's not exactly a shock to me. Yeah. So I would get exposed to the job the first year. And then the second year, I would perfect it and move on up. So I went from, you know, quote runner, coffee fetcher to service rep to account manager and then sales. So before I knew it, I was in sales and just really enjoyed that a lot because the flexibility, you're in the office, you're out of the office, you're dealing with lots of different people. And just when you think you have everything figured out, there's something new to learn. 
Yeah, you're right about that. It sounds like you've got a, a great deal of experience, uh, you know, when your travels and, and prepping uh, for calls and so on. Uh, what did you like best about that? Best about sales? Um, well, you know, there it's, it's a shame. Um, sometimes people will harp on the, the bad customers, but really nine out of 10 customers are yeah. a delight and a joy to deal with. And happy to to interact with with people myself and the people that supported me but what i really liked was when i would get a compliment on something that i thought was just standard like returning a phone call quickly or following through on what you say you're going to do and it wasn't until you know years into this experience that i realized uh, i was interviewing for something and i brought um I, I keep a folder like every year there's a folder and it's just it's just labeled plus. It's got a big plus sign on it. And I put emails in there where people have said, oh, thank you. Great job. And I walked into this interview with a folder, my plus folder. And they're like, what is this? And I said, it's just people that have told me good job. And they're like, why do you have this? I'm like, because people have told me I've done a good job. And he's like, well, no, I mean, why are they telling you that? I'm like, apparently I'm doing a good job. Well, this person that I was interviewing with had never seen such a thing before. So that's when I realized just doing the basics and doing the right thing is actually exemplary. It doesn't always happen as uh, like you like you think it should. Uh, I know uh, in my experience moving here uh, after I escaped the frozen tundra of Minneapolis in April of 97, uh, getting a return phone call and getting folks to show up on time at, you know, and what seems like rudimentary things don't often always happen. And I think it's easy for those of us that do those things to take them for granted, but mm -hmm. it, it's not something that, that always happens. Mm -hmm. With so much, it sounds like you have a lot of uh, health insurance related experience. How did you land specifically in that? Is that? Was that something that you really you know, gravitated toward? I mean, with so many different segments within the insurance industry, how did you land there? Um, I, I mean, again, I, well, obviously I think God directed me to the right place that suited my personality, but my personality is very positive, very energetic. Um, I often don't hear the word no. So if someone is sugarcoating bad news for me, I don't hear it. Um, you've got to be very, very direct that this is no. And that suits itself well to sales because you're going to get told no by a customer. And if I took you no... You get told no? Yes, yes. But that's okay because you have to go back. So someone may say no to you one day. Well, then a few days later or the next week, you've got to go knock on that door, or pick up that phone and call that person again and ask them again. So it's okay. No is not a problem. It's just another stepping stone towards yes. But as far as how I got into this... um the the places where i worked there there were openings in the small group areas and it just seemed to suit my personality the speed of the sale i've tried larger sales before and while they are good and you make more money it's a much longer sales cycle yeah. and my energy level is more suited towards things that just you know there's stuff going on every week you mentioned small group is there a certain size of employees that that represents Typically, it's two to 50 employees. Some people might refer to it as two to 100. Yep. With everything going on uh, with healthcare, and you know, there's been a lot of talk, certainly over the last 10 years, what are your thoughts on that, uh, given your you know, large corporate insurance uh, industry experience and uh, uh, 
uh, given what we're about to talk about next. Right. So in 19, I started selling in 1996. And I think it's probably been a lot longer than that. What? You selling. Parents, allowance. uh, You know what? You tapped into something. Yes. I think I was born in sales, but my family tried to tried to hide that from me. So yes. Um, But when I got my first paying job for sales uh, was 1996. And at the time, a small business owner, let's say you had a plumbing company with 10 employees, the cost of health insurance per month for one employee was $100. So a plumbing company with 10 employees, $100. That's $1,000 a month. People are getting a really souped up, fantastic PPO plan. Well, fast forward to now, the cost of a single person in that same group is close to $700. So the employer is having to pass along the cost to the employee. Well, at $700, $350 a month to an employee, $350 a month to an employer is not very affordable. And the plans we're seeing offered have huge deductibles. So the affordable portion of health insurance is not really affordable and it's weighing on small businesses tremendously. I'm actually very involved with my local chamber of commerce and reaching out to small businesses to find out what affects them as far as health insurance goes and then also legislative issues, which is probably what you're alluding to. So you threw your hat on the political ring recently. You're running for office. Mm -hmm. Tell the listenership about how you got there, how your experience has been, what your thoughts are. Thank you. So um, yeah, they're locally here in the House of Representatives uh, across the state of Georgia. You, You have a representative. You probably don't know who they are. And um, there's 180 of them across the state of Georgia. So I'm running for House District 81, which is in DeKalb County. And it's got uh, Shambly, Doraville, Tucker. And when the health insurance world started to go tilt, that's when I started to think somebody's got to do something. And I found myself saying, somebody's got to do something long enough. And one day I heard the words ring back in my ears, you're somebody. And I thought, oh no, I'm going to have to do something. So I threw my hat in the ring. And in 2019, the federal government is going to be giving block grants of money to the states and basically saying, here's your money, Georgia, go figure it out. We've got a few people in the Georgia legislature that slature, that know a little bit about health insurance, but I'm going to be the only person there that has sat across the table from a small business owner and said, here's your 30% increase for the third year in a row, or talk to an individual who's trying to cover themselves and two children, and they're having to work three jobs to pay enough for their health insurance. It's probably no surprise to anyone here that the cost of health insurance is now more than a mortgage. So I'm trying to find creative solutions on. So, so the business and the political tie-ins are tremendous. It's like they're two parallel tracks. I've found health insurance for myself, but I was able to cut my rates in half, which I know sounds very dramatic, but it's true. And we need people in the legislature that can come up with creative ideas instead of just Medicare for all, which I may get cruci- crucified for that statement, but that won't work. Um And I can, in a matter of just a few questions, get people down the thought process of, oh, I can see how that won't work if I can just have conversations. 
you know, it's uh, obviously you would be, uh, an, to me, a, a very appropriate person to have in there. Somebody with a lot of localized knowledge and specialized knowledge with the insurance uh, industry, especially specifically healthcare. I would think that would be extremely valuable in your role uh, running, you know, running for public office and, and certainly a differentiating point uh, because this is on a lot of people's minds. Um, you know, I used to, in the 90s, uh, sell pharmaceuticals and plantable medical devices. And so I have a lot of experience with doctors and hospitals. And it seems like, I think we all, it seems to me, we all recognize we need to do something. Mm-hmm. But we can't really agree on what that something might be. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, what the, what the, what the, the companies that manufacture pharmaceuticals, the implantable medical devices, the hospitals... Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, there's there's not a one size fits all. So for the government to have come in and said bronze, silver, gold plans, this will solve everything. Not really. We didn't have to restructure the entire system because it was about seven percent of the population that that needed help, and they needed to be in a high risk pool. And Georgia had a high risk pool set up, but it wasn't funded. Funded means money. So the risk pool was set up, but there was no money in it. So it'd be like jumping in a swimming pool with no water in it. You don't want to do that. Um, and the way yeah, there are other things I'd probably rather do. Yeah. Um, and I heard one person use a great analogy. They're like, well, it'd be like if you needed to replace the roof on your home, about 7% of the cost of your home. And you decided to just demolish and rebuild the entire home. It wasn't necessary. It didn't need to be done. We just needed different avenues. You hear people talk about wanting catastrophic coverage. What they're saying is, I'll be responsible for the first 5,000, 10,000, 15,000. I know one lady that has $20,000 in her HSA, but there's not a plan out there that she can purchase that has a $20,000 deductible that will fit her HSA because the government has put the ACA law and it is a law into place. So we need different options. Before the Affordable Care Act came along, you had... PPOs, you had high deductible plans, you had limited benefit plans, you had short-term plans, a number of different things that all fell under the heading of major medical. But when the ACA came along, it said, if you're not bronze, silver, or gold, you are breaking the law, you are not a legitimate major medical plan. It seems like there maybe could be some uh, halftime adjustments made and, and, and some different adjustments made where uh, more folks could get access to that. Uh, when you decided to run for office, uh, was that scary? I prayed about it for months before making the decision. When I made the decision, it wasn't scary, but what's happened since has been kind of scary. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's good. It's exciting. I'm learning every day. I wake up every morning with just tons of energy. Thank goodness. Cause it takes a lot of energy to work a full-time job and run a full-time campaign. Um, and and when I say scary, it's just the amount of things that there are to learn. It's just been exponential and the growth, my personal growth and the, the amount of knowledge that I'm accumulating is more than I ever expected. I didn't know I had it in me and I'm very happy that I do. Well, you certainly do. I, I think, so you started, you decided to run for office when exactly? Um, I started thinking about it in June of 2017. And I declared, I'm using air quotes around declared, you go down to the ethics commission and you fill out paperwork and you declare that you're going to run 
which allows you to start fundraising because that's a big key is sure. yeah, setting up an account and starting to ask your friends and family for money. Holy mackerel. Very comfortable. <laughs> when is, uh, so what is the process of uh, the election process for you, for your district? So um, I'm very lucky that I don't have any primary competition. So the primary, and I'll just make it real simple for folks that might not know, the primary is when the Republican candidates compete against each other and the Democrat candidates compete against each other. And the voting is done on May 22nd of this year. And so one person from each side comes out and then they duke it out in the general election. And the things that you do from point A to point B are, you know, raise money because you have to buy marketing materials, things called push cards because you push them on people and uh, door hangers. You have to hire people to compile walk lists for you because I'm going to be walking the entire district. I'm going to be knocking on about 15,000 doors. So get a look at me now because I'm probably going to lose 15 pounds. Um, and you you have to know the the doors to knock on. If there are people that never in a million years would vote for you, don't knock on their door. If there are people in the middle, you want to get to them. There's um, also um, a lot that you can do on Facebook. I'm hoping to get the Russian vote. Huh? Um, and then as far as phone banking, you know, you can make a lot of phone calls and uh, just get a lot of volunteers involved. If I could do it, all on canvassing. We're doing our actually our first um, canvassing door knocking this Saturday, the 14th, uh, starting at 11 a.m. So if you want to knock on the doors of strangers, come on out. When is the election then for you? So victory is November 6th, and that is six months and 27 days away. How many people will vote in that in that election from your district, do you think? To have a solid win, um, about fifth, last time about 15,900 people came out to vote. So my goal is to get about 9,000 of that. Yeah, that would put you, uh, that would put you in the winner's circle. That would be solid. How, uh, <laughs> what sets you apart, you know, to, to be selected and to, to be elected. Mm -hmm. um, as I get out and speak with different people in the district, about a third of the people know who the incumbent is and they like him. About a third of the people know who the incumbent is and they don't like him. And the other third of the people have no idea. So I'm already doing things in the district to get out in the community and get exposed to the voters. But I'm not just relying on what's going on, I'm creating my own events. So like tonight, for example, the district that we live in is very culturally diverse. I mean, we have Vietnamese, we have Indian, we have Mexican, obviously we have, you know, white American people, but the district itself is a great example of the microcosm of what the UN, mm. United States is. So I decided to do what I call a world tour in the district. So tonight we are getting a group of people together to have dinner at a Vietnamese restaurant called Nam Phong. And I know it is. Yeah. So every couple of weeks, would you like to come? It's tonight at 630. I can't. <sighs> I will be enjoying my yoga class uh, uh, where I have as much flexibility as this table here with my wife at 530. Very good. Very good. So I say enjoy with air quotes, by mm -hmm. the way. 
So the idea is, you know, I'm getting out to the community, but I'm also trying to get the community to get out within itself. And it's not just, oh, only the Vietnamese people can come to Nam Phong. I want everybody to come. And once we get a few of these going, it's going to it's going to create its own life and its own activity. So it's about the diversity, but it's also about getting people exposed to people they wouldn't normally interact with and realizing that we're we're all living in this district and we all want the same things. In closing, what advice would you give to your younger self? Ellen? Um, buy stock in Coke and Yahoo and get some Bitcoin early, like on the beginning. Don't wait till later. <laughs> and what advice would you give uh, a young lady uh, out there that's thinking about following a similar path uh, as what you've done? Join a good country club as soon as possible because you're going to make a lot of great relationships there. If people want to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Phone, email address? My my favorite way for people to get a hold of me is the phone. So I'm just going to give my phone number. Uh, a lot of people will text. It's so funny when I say, call me, and then they text. So the fastest way to reach me is by phone, and that is 770-712-9990. Again, 770-712-9990. Ellen, you've been a great guest. Uh, Congratulations on all of your success, and we appreciate you being on the show, and best of luck in the election coming up in November. Great. Thanks, Corey. We'd like to welcome Kristen Curcio to the show. Kristen, great to have you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me today. How is everything with you? Everything is great. Well, you've got a lot of great experience, and uh, tell us about how you landed as an investment advisor with Capital Investment Advisors here in town. Sure. So um, the beginning of my financial experience started up in New York City. I um, kind of took a leap of faith. I had been living in Atlanta and uh, always wanted to get to New York and somehow just found a little bit of extra ambition and got up there and kind of landed on Wall Street working for Goldman Sachs first and then Morgan Stanley afterwards. And so um, I did that for about 11 years. I worked in various parts of the firm, including private wealth management, compliance, investment banking, which is where I kind of ended my career at the time there. And then um, took some time off, had a couple boys. And, um, and they're far easier, <laughs> aren't they, to manage than, than girls, right? Far easier. Yes. Yes. I always laugh because when my children were young, I would look at the girl moms and they would have it so easy. The girls would be sitting around and cutting and pasting and drawing and they'd be so quiet and the boys would just be running around. And I used to think to myself, you're going to get payback when those girls get to be about 10, 11, 12 years old. You're going to have a much harder time. So um, right now I'm in the sweet spot with a 12 and a nine-year-old. And basically I I just kind of describe it as at this point, I'd rather be with them than without them. Oh, that's that's great. Uh, So you spent time in New York Mm. for two huge mammoth companies. What did you like about your experience with each one of those companies? So I really thrived in that environment um, at the that, time. That's not a surprise to you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, at the time, I was single and it was kind of just what you did. You got into that New York life where working was not, it, it, was, it, was, it was as great as almost going out socially. You wanted to be at work. You wanted to stay longer hours. The FaceTime, actually, I didn't mind because you always wound up getting more projects. You got closer to your superiors. I just... Um, 
I loved every, I really did love every part of it. Even those weeks where I'd have to take the subway down on a Sunday and spend all day, I just would get home feeling like I was accomplished and it was good. And at the time in my life, that was really, that was what I was doing. And it was the most important thing. And I wasn't unlike most people there. Everybody kind of works in the same way. So you've had a lot of experience, even within your industry, private wealth management, sales and trading, investment banking, research. Is there anything that you liked better out of those uh, out of those experiences than than something else? Um, yeah, so I kind of ended my I say ended my career at Goldman Sachs working in investment banking, which I really loved. Uh, I worked in a mergers and acquisitions group, and it was just we were on the cutting edge of everything that was about to happen. We were allowed to determine if we were going to take on new deals for new clients. Um, it was it was um, a global position, so we were just being in the know and everything was so exciting. And also working with the people in banking, many of whom had degrees from the best schools and really the world. And it was just fascinating to be able to work under a lot of those people and really get to learn from them. So I think that that was probably my favorite, of course, until I'm working at Capital Investment Advisors, but that was my favorite as uh, in my earlier financial career. Well, with investment banking, describe the kind of deal that you would work on. So um, basically, I worked with all the different sectors and I worked in a conflicts group, which basically a firm would come in and and ask Goldman to to be their advisor on a certain deal, an acquisition, an IPO, a secondary offering, whatever it might be. And we would basically have to look at what the rest of the firm was doing. So what... what banking was doing also has an impact on our research. It also has an impact on our trading desks. And so there's a Chinese wall in an investment banking firm. And so you have to make sure that everything is on the right side of the wall. And if it looks like it could, that there's not, or that there's some kind of impropriety, then we need to make those decisions. So um, that was a really fun thing to be able to do. Now you've spent time living on both coasts. Yes. Is there one coast that you preferred? Uh Certainly, certainly different experiences as it would seem. Yes, very different. So New York, I really, I loved, I kind of, I, I laugh because I kind of feel like Mary Tyler Moore when I lived there, I'd walk out of my building every day and throw my hat in the air and wonder what was going to happen to me that day. So I loved that. San Francisco had its own wonderful things as well, though. Obviously, the geography of San Francisco is beautiful. Mm-hmm. We lived on the bay. We lived right across from the water. We could mm-hmm. take walks every day. I had my two children there. So, of course, it's very sentimental to me. And I also have a host of probably my very best girlfriends that are from there. So um, different, but you could get to a lot of cool places. We did a lot of skiing in Tahoe and could go down to Southern California. So um, different, but both good, I would say. So you played uh, tennis in college, right? Yes. What did you learn from that that helps you in your role now? I would say the biggest thing I learned from that is time management. Because when I went to college, um, I was not partying all day long. I was either in class studying or practicing tennis. And so I think that you just have to get a really firm grip in order to be successful in all those areas on your time and learn how to use it the best. And I think that that has helped me tremendously throughout my career, through being a mom, just being able to multitask different things. So I think that was the biggest thing. And of course, discipline. You have to be disciplined when you play any kind of sport. So I think that just having that is important as well. Well, time is your currency. Yes, time is definitely your currency. Absolutely. So you have, now you have uh, this role with Capital Investment Advisors, a prominent financial planning firm here in Atlanta. Tell the listenership about the firm and 
and, and what makes you different? Sure. So Capital Investment Advisors is a family-owned firm. We've been in business for about 24 years now. And um, we focus primarily on people that are either retired or are with or are within five years of retirement. So the majority of these people come in and they're really looking for a way that's going to supplement whatever other income they have coming in in retirement, such as social security, pensions, rental property, perhaps, um, whatever streams of income they have, there's probably a gap in their monthly spending that they need to fill. So what we do is we work with them to provide a customized solution in order for them to be able to fill that gap on a monthly basis. So... What do you like best about working at your firm? I love the client relationships. I think that one of the things that CIA does that maybe sets us apart from others a little bit is that we really... Every client matters. And that's the most important thing to us. And somebody could come in with $500,000 or somebody could come in with $4 million. It doesn't matter. Everybody's treated the same and everybody is getting phone calls on you know a monthly and then maybe every six months basis. We're meeting with our clients face-to-face. We welcome the opportunity for them to come in whenever they want to meet with us. Um, we're also kind of we're also a holistic financial planner. So we're not just about their investments, but we're also looking at other things that are important to them, such as their estate planning, their long-term care planning, insurance, health insurance. Um, maybe they have needs from a CPA. And so we actually have a lot of those people within Uh, within under the roof in our office that can also help our clients with that. So they can come in and kind of, we can kind of be a one-stop shop in all those different areas. So it's nice to be able to have uh, the other professionals within our building. And then of course, um, outside of our building, who can help us with those things? Yeah, the firm is uh, very, very impressive. I know it's been around, what, 25 years? Yes. Um, uh, very, very uh, well thought of. And I'll tell you one, two words that come to mind in my experience in helping uh, your clients with my exper- expertise is you do a great job. You and the firm do a great job of creating an air of consultative engagement. And what I mean by that is you make people comfortable. People come in, they can speak freely, they can ask questions, they can disagree. And uh, everything is very, very laid back. Uh, people really know their stuff. And I think uh, the firm isn't shy about accessing people that have specialized knowledge if, if they don't have experience in it. Do you think that's accurate? Oh, absolutely. Our network of, uh, of other professionals like yourself is so vastly important to us and to be able to connect our clients with people that can help them. And these are people that we've worked with, so we trust and we have good relationships with. And that referral system is just so critical in our industry because there are so many ways that people can be taken advantage of these days. And to be able to refer somebody that you've worked with personally is really worth its weight in gold. Absolutely. So how does... Um... You mentioned that capital investment advisors, their sort of focus is people that are in retirement or within five years. How did, how did the firm arrive at that client segment? So really, it started first with the kind of investing that the firm wanted to do, which was basically investing for income. So as opposed to maybe a 30-year-old who's investing and wants to be invested in the FANG stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and just wants to see their portfolio grow. We were really more focused on how can we generate income in a portfolio through ways of both, of course, dividends from blue chip paying stocks, but also interest from bonds, um, distributions from alternative investments. And so it kind of started a little bit there with the income investing portion and then really seeing that that's 
that the people that that really is good for are those people that are in retirement because they're really looking for that income. And a lot of people don't even realize that they can generate so much income from their portfolio if it's properly put together and if it's allocated properly and if it's customized for their needs. Is there a particular segment that you're focused on within the firm? So I love working with everyone, but I really have loved working with the women. Um, I have a lot of single women clients that come in um, that span the ages. And I really, um, I love just being able to help them because I think so many of them are intimidated. They've never done it before. Perhaps they're widowed. Perhaps they've always been single. They haven't had a man doing it for them. And they're very nervous about it and they're scared and they don't really know who to trust or what to do. And so I feel like that's really been such a blessing for me to be able to work with those people because I feel like we try to educate them or I try to educate them a little bit so that they feel like they're with me in it. And it's a partnership as opposed to them just handing everything over to me and saying, here, do it, please, you do it. And um, and I think that once they get more comfortable with with being more educated on it, then I think that they feel like they're a part of it and they're just, they're, they're opening their world up also. So I would definitely say that I really have enjoyed working with the women so much. And I, and I do encourage whenever I have, um, whenever I have a male client come in that's married and his wife doesn't come with them, I always encourage them on the next meeting, please bring her with, with you, because I think it's just so important for them to get to know me as a family in the event that anything unexpected happens, that that woman should know what's going on. Yeah, from my experience with you, I think you've done a very effective job of creating a, a, a teamwork kind of environment where uh, you're in it with the client. And uh, I, you know, my experience is extremely positive. You participated in all the meetings, you asked questions, you were heavily engaged, and that's not always the case. Uh, what? Why do you think? Do you think that the that, that females getting insight into financial planning? Do you think that that's an underserved market? Yes, I think it's very underserved. I think that a lot of times, um, I think two things though. I think that women don't realize how important it is for them to be able to understand it, number one. But also I think that they're so scared and many are very scared and intimidated by it. I think we've been kind of taught as as a society for all these years that math and investing is really for for the men to take care of. And the reality is that it's not. And we, we live in a society where a lot of women are getting married older and they need to start early investing. People also don't understand that it, investing has to start in your 20s when you have your first job. And even if you can only contribute a tiny amount to your 401k, start there and start to learn the principles of how much you should be saving a month and out of every paycheck. So I do think it's an underserved market that could be much more greatly served than what it is right now. And I think that part of that is just getting women to understand why it's so important for them to understand it. Do you think a big part of being a financial advisor is is being able to make people feel at ease, making them, you know, feel free to ask questions? Absolutely. I think that they need to feel at ease and I think that they need to feel uh, a trust immediately in you. And a lot of times first meetings, you can get a lot about a person. And I just think that if you, if you don't, if you have an uneasy feeling, it's probably the right one. I think if you're with a financial advisor, you immediately want to feel like this person has my best interest at heart. And this is, and, and, and in line with that is that, um, our firm is a fiduciary, which means that we have to do what's right. What's, 
best for the clients, not what's suitable for the clients. And there's a fine line there, but there's a definitive line. And so um, that is the way that we operate. Again, as a fiduciary, and a lot of people are hearing this rule out there a lot now um, with the recent fiduciary rule that's gone into place for a lot of the other brokerage firms that that haven't had it in place before. So um, I always suggest to anybody, whether you're a CIA or whatever kind of investment advisor you're going to, make sure that they are a fiduciary. If you had to counsel our listenership on how to go about finding a financial advisor, what would you tell them? Sure. So the one thing, uh, I would say the most important thing that you want to look for is a fee-only financial advisor. Why do, you, why do you say that? And what this means is that a fee-only financial advisor means that you pay for a percentage of the assets that the man, that the advisor is managing for you. They do not get any commissions. They don't get any extra fees. There's no kickbacks. Um, for example, our firm, we do not sell any proprietary products. We don't sell insurance. We don't sell annuities. Uh, we are ba- we our only charge is what we're what we're charging to manage your assets. So a lot of times, if you go to a fee-based advisor then what's happening is you're not really sure what you're paying for because part of what you're paying them might be going to the products that they're selling to you. And so you really want to make sure that you know exactly what you're paying for. And if if the advisor cannot transparently show you what you're paying for, then probably it's not, it's probably not a great thing. There's a lot of people out there being taken advantage of. Uh, so what, how do we put, how do, how would you tell people to put them in a position where that is less likely to to happen. So I think one thing is if you can ever get a referral to a financial advisor, that is, I would say that that's probably the the number one way to be able to ensure if somebody else has had a good experience with someone, that's a good thing. I think that um, for maybe an elderly woman, if she's got if she's got a son or daughter that she can take or a trusted friend or maybe even a CPA or other advisor that she can take with her to interview someone and to sit down with them, I think that that's important. We see so many um, so many issues with elder care abuse and so many different assets in so many areas of our, of our society and certainly the financial planning area is one of them. So I think that um, taking somebody along is is a good thing as well. Also, um, for people, no matter where you live, there is a directory of fee only advisors. It's at um, the, it's the National Association of Professional Financial Associates. So people can look there. Also, you can look online. You can just simply put in your zip code, and you'll find a fee only advisor in your area. Do you think women are uh, getting more and more informed about financial planning? because of everything that's happened in the last 15, 20 years? I think because we've had so many bad stories in the media that have been um, maybe not glamorized, but certainly that have that we've heard over and over. And I, and I think definitely in 2008 when things happened, that yes, I think that because we're hearing more about, about these things on mainstream media, that, pe- that women are becoming more informed about them. Yes. And I think that they're also seeing that, um, you know, we're seeing these statistics that come out that are telling us that people have $35,000 at retirement. And we've seen a lot of more scarier statistics coming out in the last few years than we had before. So I think that when we're, when women are seeing these, then they're, yes, I think that they're starting to get a little bit nervous and maybe that's prompting them to do a little bit more about it. Is there a certain kind of client, a certain kind of female client that you're looking for age? Uh, is there any sort of metrics? Uh, are there any sort of metrics that you're looking for in potential clients for you personally? Um, I don't think that there are any certain metrics. I just, um, you know, I have women that age, that range from say 40 up to 
85. And I like working with all of them um, in different ways. I do think that I I do enjoy, I think my work with the the elderly ones a little bit more because I really feel like I'm able to help them. And I think that also they're, they're a lot more open to talking to me about what they're, what they're nervous about and what their fears are and, and that sort of thing. And so I think you become a lot more, um, you become very much of a counselor in this role. Like I think many of us do in any kind of advisory role and you learn so much about people's lives and they want to talk to you about everything. And, um, and a lot of these people might be lonely and, and might not have a lot of other people. People, so I actually really enjoy being able to be there for them. I saw that the counselor part, uh, in addition to the teamwork, I saw that loud and clear in the, on the cases that I've worked with you on. And you've certainly done a great job of, of making people feel comfortable and answering their questions and certainly delivering the message that you're in it with them and just try to you know bend over backwards to help them. Certainly you must see or have seen a lot of transition. And, and the scenario I'm thinking of is if a married woman suddenly finds herself single, maybe there's a death in the family, a relationship change. I, I would imagine that uh, you're a great uh, uh, person to to know if those things happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing that we can do as as women to prepare ourselves for something like that is just to get a firm handle on where are your finances. Are they, do you have brokerage accounts? Do you have checking accounts? Where's your mortgage? Um, do you have long-term care? What are, what are your other insurance policies? So many of us go day to day and think, oh, I'll just get all that information when I need it. But you need it today because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so I think that in preparation for any kind of life event, that those things are so critical and no passwords and where to find things and um, all and all that just can take so much time. And, and it's sometimes impossible to find anything if you don't have those. So, um, and then if something does happen, then maybe at least you have those things in place because it's going to be such a hard time emotionally anyway. And then after that, you can start thinking of other things um, such as you might need to contact social security, depending on, on your age. Um, there are there are definitely benefits for spouses. So you might contact them about what they what the benefits might be. Um, your husband might have had an IRA at his firm and how do you, you need to call HR at his old firm and see if it's still there, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of things that, that women do have to think about, but I would say that the, the biggest thing is get the basics in order, get your financial house in order and know what the order is at all times. And then don't make any big decisions. Don't plan to sell your house six weeks later. Don't plan to invest all that money six weeks later. Just give it a little time, um, kind of get through what you need to get through in the beginning, and then you can kind of take it from there later. Well, it sounds like you play a big role uh, in acting as counselor, especially in these times of transition. Um, one question that I, that I was wondering about is, is there a first step that you would tell somebody that, hey, Kristen, I don't know where all the IRAs are. I don't know where the insurance, I mean, what's the first step that somebody would take to sort of get all that together and get it in a file? I mean, do you have some sort of aggregating tool or is there some advice that you could give the listenership? So I think that the best thing to be able to do is um, just, again, I would just emphasize before anything were to happen, try to have a handle on a lot of those things. Um, if you don't know them, then there might be things perhaps in, in a will that might tell where certain things are. 
Um, but you want to make sure that you know those things prior to anything happening. If something does happen and you don't know, you can come to a financial advisor and we can help you. Mm. We can di- we can parse it out. We can figure out where certain things are. There might be statements that are coming in the mail from Vanguard and you always ignored them before. And all of a sudden they're coming in and you're realizing, oh, this is where my husband's IRA is. So it could be things just as simple as that. But um, again, I, I would just strongly emphasize getting a handle on all of that earlier rather than later. Well, I think there's a, to me, in knowing you over the years, there's many things that separate you. You're obviously compassionate. You have a great deal of experience. You have different experience within your industry. And I think the competitiveness in having played a college sport and having to prepare for that and manage the time, what else sets Kristen Curcio apart? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot just in case you know, I'm totally on the spot. Well, um, I think that, I think that, well, I'll say what I think that most of my clients would say, which is that I'm extremely diligent. You'll always get that call back within 24 hours. You'll um, get a clear and concise answer. And if I don't have the answer for you at that moment, I will find the answer out for you and you will have an answer in your lap within a very short time frame. Um, I do think that that the communication with the client is key. I, I do have people come in that say, oh, I tried to call my advisor five times. I didn't talk to them for the last year. That's just not acceptable for me or for our firm. That's not how we operate. So I think that just knowing that you have direct access to me at all times is incredibly important. I have a couple of very nervous clients. I give them my cell phone numbers text me, call me, whatever you need to do. I was on spring break last week and a few of them did with the market doing what it was. So, um, and that's fine, but that's what I'm there for. And this is, for a lot of these clients, this is their everything. This is their nest egg. This is what they're going to retire with. They don't have 30 years to recover if something blows up. So I think that being able to be there for them at all times when when they need me is critical. In closing, what advice would you give the younger version of Kristen? Knowing what you know now. Sure. Um, Be more confident, I think is the first one. I think um, that no feat is too big. Just, you just have to go for it. Um, I've only learned that a little bit later on in life. And I wish that I had more confidence as a young adult to be able to do that. So just go for it. What advice would you give a young lady that was thinking about following a similar path that you followed? Meet people, get out there, talk to people in the industry, see what they're saying, talk to women and men. Don't just talk to women, talk to men too, get their perspective on things. And then go talk to women and get their perspective on how it is to be a woman in a very, a woman in a very um, man-driven industry. Because it's not always easy. It can be intimidating and it can be difficult. And I sometimes think that women have to work a little bit harder for the credibility factor and whatnot. But um, if you put the time in and you talk to the right people, you can kind of make a path for yourself, get recommendations, do internships, study on your own. Um, There's a lot of ways that I think that people can, that young women can make a name for themselves in this kind of, in this kind of community. Sound advice, Kristen. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, how would they best do that? There's maybe a phone number, an email, perhaps. Absolutely. So my phone number is 404-531-0018. And my email is kcurcio, and that's C-U-R-C-I-O at yourwealth.com. Well, ladies, we've had a great show. Kate Allison, thank you very much. Ellen Deal and Kristen Curcio, another great show with Tuesdays with Corey. Uh, Thanks so much for listening.
And of course, um, I mean, this wouldn't be made possible to exist with Corey without the uh, without Corey Rick, of course, and the long-term care planning group. So Corey, if anybody wanted to learn more about the long-term care planning group, where would they do that? They could contact me directly at 678-814-5088. Uh, they could email me at Corey, C-O-R-E-Y at, and this is all one word, thelongtermcareplanninggroup.com, or they can visit the website at www.thelongtermcareplanninggroup, all one word.com. Thanks. Perfect. And um, of course, I'm always, I love producing this show and having the opportunity to sit in this room and hear the stories of these incredible women that you bring in. So thanks for making this such a great episode, guys. Um, so again, thank you guys so much for listening into this episode of Tuesdays with Corey. We'll see you all next time on Atlanta Business Radio. 